actually. Um, it's just an honour to be invited to speak. And I really feel that this morning. I really feel that we can announce Christ. Did you know that? Without fear or favour. You can announce Jesus wherever you are. And what I wanted to talk about a little bit this morning was being filled with the Holy Spirit, but going deeper into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is someone that we need to announce, because without the Holy Spirit within us, you're weak, if we're honest. We're weak. And I'm almost amazed by some people who've actually said to me that they don't believe the Holy Spirit is for today. I can even have that conversation. And I just, I can't react well because I'm actually, when I'm faced with that, I'm quiet. Because I think, well, if you're in that place, you don't understand very much. But we do understand that we can announce Jesus Christ as the Saviour here this morning. Do you know what this day is today? I didn't know it was. It's Pentecost. We celebrate Pentecost today. That's the day where the disciples have been waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They've been waiting ten days. They had to wait a while. And they were in the upper room praying. And it's the day of Pentecost. It also, someone's mentioned that a few days later, after Ramadan and Eid has been celebrated. But we can celebrate a greater God this morning. We can celebrate Him. And if we need to understand that that celebration is all-embracing. It has no limits to where that celebration can go as we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Saviour. And just as I get this moving along a little bit. You see, the Gospel is all about Jesus Christ. I've been talking about Jesus Christ quite a lot this morning. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. I'm not afraid. You see, the Holy Spirit is personal and it's not corporate. You see, it isn't for someone else, it's for you. If it's for the corporate, then you can sit underneath. You can avoid the consequences and the speaking of the Holy Spirit. You see, we can't present the Gospel as a formula. Do it in a certain way. And certain things happen. Not at all. We have to present Jesus Christ as the person. As a person. And I wonder sometimes, and if I, I can, you know, when you look at the writings of Paul, Paul gave lots of instructions, lots of exhortations, lots of directions, but quite often he engaged himself in that conversation because he said, just as you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. He said it so many times. He didn't just throw it out there for someone else to catch. He caught it himself. I wonder, is Jesus the centre of your life? Is Jesus, are you on the throne of your life? Or is Jesus on the throne of your life? Does that make any sense? Is he there and you, you acknowledge Jesus in your life? Or are you the centre? You see, most people, if you walk outside, they are the centre of their lives. I understand that entirely. Because you want to look after your own body. But Jesus says, bring me into the centre of your life and I will change your life permanently. Not temporarily. It's permanent. So bring Jesus in onto the throne, onto your life. And if anyone ever asks you who is central to your life, declare it to be Jesus. You may be a little bit afraid sometimes saying that. You see, Paul... 
And I'm not going to talk all about Paul, but I want to introduce Paul. He was led by the Holy Spirit in so many situations. He took so many risks for the gospel. So many risks. I could name, you know, you could go through and you can find a dozen of them. Um, and in fact, in Romans, and I'm not going to be talking about Romans because we'll be here for the rest of the year. <laughs> Nevertheless, he wrote to the church in Rome. And he wrote a dangerous letter, a very, very dangerous letter. And I'm going to come to that. But the backdrop of that is Paul was used to taking risks for the gospel. Many risks. In Acts 16, 6 to 25, if you ever want to look at it at some point, you see Paul and Silas visited Philippi. It was a Roman colony. And the colony and the people, they were very keen on Rome and Caesar and Caesar's gods. And I'm just going to read out an extract from you, for you. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners for fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Seems almost an innocuous turn of events. Paul was in Philippi, but Paul knew to cast this spirit out of this girl was risky. Very risky. Because he was in a non-Jewish city. It didn't take much to rouse the Jews against, um, against Paul, did it? He was in a non-Jewish Gentile city, and he knew that if he cast that spirit out of that girl, there was trouble awaiting. But he took the risk. He must have known that. And that's why he probably waited a few days before he did anything. But this girl was persistent. She chased him and Silas around the city. And she got, and it says it, she, he became annoyed. He wasn't annoyed with the girl. He was annoyed with the unclean spirit within her that was tormenting her. But you know, by actually taking that step and casting out that spirit, he was doing two things that were very risky. Her masters treated her as property. She was worth only something to them if she produced something. She was property. She was an item. And secondly, she produced quite a lot of money for her owners. Now, I tell you, if you go to people and you, do, you touch their property, they're going to get annoyed. But you touch someone's money, they get even more annoyed. And of course, Paul probably weighed this up and said, I wonder if I could leave it. I wonder if this girl would go away. I'm generalizing. But nevertheless, he must have thought it. But finally he got to the point, he was vexed with this spirit and cast there. Well, of course, and I won't go into the detail, soon after, for casting that spirit out of that girl, the masters of that girl became very, very upset, raised the crowd against him, and Paul and Silas were beaten mercilessly and thrown into jail. He took a risk. I wonder what the biggest risk we've all taken for the gospel so far in our lives. I'm not saying go for a risk. But there are risks in our lives. We take risks. We should be taking risks for the gospel. Now, Paul wrote to Rome um, in Romans 1, 1 to 17. And I'm going to just read this to you. Um, because this is the one of the longest, is this the longest letter that has survived from the time of Christ. Letters at that time tended to be very short. 
This is a long letter and it survives in its entirety. I'm going to read it out to you. Romans 1, 1 to 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand and through his prophets and the Holy, Holy Scriptures regarding the Son who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And are you also amongst those Gentiles who are caused to belong to Jesus Christ? To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, who I'm serving my spirit, is preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray now that at last, by God's will, the way might be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had amongst the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Does that letter seem fairly innocuous? We're gonna, I'm going to visit you, but I want to tell you that I come in the name of Jesus Christ. So, letter to Rome, what does that matter? You know, this is a dangerous letter to write to Rome because someone that had taken power as emperor not long ago, long, not long before, was Nero. You may have heard of Nero. He's famed for watching Rome burn. But actually, don't worry about that bit. Worry about some of the earlier bits that Nero got up to. He was a dangerous man to come across in those times. But, you see, Nero had come to the throne in October 54 AD. And he'd come to the throne, he was now emperor, because his mother poisoned his stepfather. Okay? You ever heard this phrase, you know, like father like son? Well, from here, we hear like mother like son. Okay? She kicked off the first murder because she'd heard rumours that Claudius, who was the emperor at the time, was going to disinherit Nero in favour of another son by another marriage. So she persuaded court officials to poison her husband. So nothing was going to stand in the way of her putting her 16-year-old son Nero in power. And Nero quickly followed his mother's example. Well, my mother can murder people. I can murder people. He had two wives that we know about. There are probably more. One wife upset him, didn't please him, so he had her killed. The next wife, 
who was pregnant, she upset him. Guess where she, what happened to her? He kicked her to death. He was a thoroughly evil man. You don't cross Nero easily. He murdered his stepbrother and anyone that came across Nero's path on the slightest pretext, if he didn't like you, he'd do away with you. So you don't want to mix and mess with this sort of guy because he had total power. Total power. At least that's what he thought. And in fact, one of the historians at the time said, Nero showed neither discrimination nor moderation in putting to death whoever he pleased on whatever pretext, whatever. So, but, but here we are. Nero had been in power three years and Paul wrote to, uh, from Corinth to the Christians in Rome. It was like throwing a lighted paper into a room full of gunpowder. Because, because Paul was declaring that Jesus is Lord, that his slave is Christ Jesus. You see, at that time, you had to actually acknowledge and honour Nero. If there was a league table of evil, Nero would be on it. In fact, I'm sure he'd make the playoffs. Because he was a particularly unpleasant individual. And that's only half of it, of what he got up to. Because Paul, though, wrote and says, I'm not afraid to write to you because I'm the slave of Christ. It wasn't a good time to be writing. It was a very dangerous time. And you never know where that letter that he wrote would go to. Someone might have passed it to Nero. And we know that some ten years later, we don't know exactly the time, Nero too had Paul killed. So he followed and had the same fate as others. But of course that fate wasn't a fate for death. It was a fate to life. So the gospel is a powerful message. And Paul wasn't afraid. He'd taken risks earlier. He was now to take an ultimate risk by wanting to go to Rome. And I said it earlier. When we listen to this, let's get off the throne of our lives and put Jesus at the centre. Because Paul had put Jesus at the centre. Because that's the only way, I think, he could have written that letter. You know, because he knew about Nero. He wasn't stupid. He, he knew what was going on. He knew what was happening in Rome. And yet, he, didn't, he wasn't fearful of the consequences because he knew that the Holy Spirit indwelt him, was in him, and gave him the power to actually declare Jesus as Lord. And we need to be able to declare that today, Jesus is Lord. Some while earlier, Jesus had been dragged, this is Jesus, dragged before a Roman judge under the charge that he opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ the King. And when the Roman judge hesitated, Pontius Pilate, Jesus' enemies reminded him that if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. That's true, actually. The judge ordered Jesus to be crucified by a team of soldiers. They made him put on a mocking crown of thorns under a sign which told everyone what Rome thought of his claim to be the king of the Jews. And now Paul was claiming that God had raised this same Jesus to life and had revealed him as the true Lord, a king of the universe. 
The gospel actually isn't about Hope Community Church. It's about Jesus Christ the person. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about you or me. It's personal to every individual. And I'm not ashamed of repeating that. Because it has to be personal. I wonder, have you ever seen these surfboarders? You know, in, these, in, they, in America usually. And they are, they're actually with a great deal of skill. They can glide through the eye of the wave. You know, they just, you know they're pretty good. Um, and I've watched them. And if they're really skilled, they can get from one end to the other before the wave crashes over them. I wonder if that's us, you see, that we duck. If you can just imagine that wave is a wave of the Holy Spirit, but we're so skillful, we can just get through. And yet, there are times in which we need to let that wave crash over us and be subjected to that soaking of the Holy Spirit. You see, you can... I, I don't know if anyone has ever done that surfboarding. I never have, and I never would, and I wouldn't even get on the surfboard, let alone get through the eye of that wave. It wouldn't even happen. But nevertheless... You can try for a while to go through the eye of the wave, but sooner or later you're going to get a soaking. If you want that soaking. If you want it. Maybe you can see the Holy Spirit coming, but you duck. Any of you good at ducking? I can duck. I'm quite good at ducking. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he arrives, quite often, he comes in many ways. Commonly, he'll come through tears, actually. I can be very tearful. I'm very teary, actually. Um, and, but other people you know, feel the Holy Spirit in different ways. But nevertheless, and men actually just stick with tears. Right? Ladies can do other things. We just stick with tears because they can hide that. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is just so important. So what gave Paul the strength to write to Romans? Dangerous letter could cost him his life. It did cost him his life eventually. It was the Holy Spirit. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Because if you're not strong, you can't take any risks. You find it really difficult to speak to every, anyone else about Jesus Christ. Really difficult. Because if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, he'll start to tell you about what it is he wants you to say to the other person. You need to read the scripture get there. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us, but we've got to receive it to enjoy it. If you don't want to receive it, if you're a ducker and a diver, you won't enjoy it. In John 16, 7 to 8, I'll just read this out to you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. The consequences of that statement are that Jesus is about to go. But in the minds of the disciples who are listening to this, they're thinking, actually, Jesus, we don't want you to go. But just understand the statement. If Jesus says something's going to be better for you, if I don't go, the helper won't come, the Holy Spirit, then he means it. It's not a flippant remark. But the disciples are still a little bit bound up with who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Me, me, me. But Jesus says, I will depart and I'll leave you the helper. And it was such a monumental statement. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit really did come. I guess that statement to the disciples might have seemed fairly absurd. No, it's ridiculous, Jesus. You've come back from the dead, and now you're going to leave again. Why don't you hang around a little bit longer? Now, I admit, 
If you were to ask me, would I prefer Jesus to be at the front here? I'd love him to be here. But the truth is, he is here through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And this is a problem that we have, is that as people, we can be, may I put it this way, a little bit carnal. We've got to touch and feel and see things. But God is a spirit. We can't see him. We're aware of him. And we need to change that carnality to one accepting of the word of God that he is here and present with us. An invisible God. He won't always be invisible. When he returns, he won't be invisible. But right now, he's invisible. So, in John 14, 17, it says, But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. A believer has the Holy Spirit in, your, in yourself, in your body. And the question is, will you awaken the Holy Spirit and allow him to speak to us? Hope community is not a big church, but that's not relevant to God. It doesn't matter. It really is irrelevant to God. God, first of all, seeks those that will receive him. If you receive him, you can be used by him for greater works than you could ever imagine. There's just no limit to what God wants to do within this church. Don't think you're caught in a corner of the London Borough of Ealing, because that just isn't true. You just happen to be here. God can use you where you are. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was present, but it was selective for certain times, for certain ministries. But it wasn't present all of the time. But we live in the New Testament times where the Holy Spirit's here all of the time. In fact, the Old Testament writers were envious of the time that was going to be coming when the Holy Spirit would be given to all people across the earth. We're living in times of envy. You may not realise that. But the Old Testament people really wanted the Holy Spirit to be amongst us as he is today. The trouble is that we can be quite unappreciative. We take everything for granted. Well, okay, the Holy Spirit's here now. But the Old Testament, people really long for that. Is that me? You see, you may have hard times. And I guess hard times do come. Very few of us won't live through some hard times. You may have lost someone. You may have lost some money. Things may not have gone well. You may have trouble finding a house. You may have hard times. But in 2 Corinthians 2.14 it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I just want to give you a little example. I've thought about this. Let's assume for a moment that I've got a pan of boiling water here in front of me. And I've got a carrot. Now the boiling water is our circumstances and the world around us sometimes. And I've got this carrot, and I drop the carrot into the boiling water. What do you think is going to happen in about five minutes, six minutes for the carrot, maybe longer? It's going to soften up, isn't it? And it's going to become very limp. And that can be us in our circumstances. We just feel very weak. We lack strength, and we don't feel we can do anything. So the circumstances change us. The same boiling water. Take out the carrot. It's got rid of that. And I put in an egg. Now the egg, assume it doesn't all crack up because I've thrown it into boiling water, 
the egg will actually come out having been boiled and look the same. It won't look any different. It's got a very thin shell, but the inside will get hardened. We mustn't get hardened by the circumstances that are around us. Because that egg will come very hard. You know, you can meet some hardened people around. Sometimes they just can't help themselves. They feel bitter. They've been beaten up. Things haven't gone well. And that's the egg. And you, can't, you become impenetrable. Soft and limp or impenetrable. Very hard to deal with. So get rid of the egg. But now, on the third step, we pour in some coffee. Okay, into that water. Well, the coffee doesn't stay where it is. It doesn't serve as a blob in the water. You know very well what happens. It permeates all of the water. And suddenly that water can become drinkable. It becomes a fresh aroma. The coffee has changed the environment. And that's you and that's me. We need to be that coffee that changes what we've been plunged into, even though things aren't so easy. Say to the person next to you that you're a diffuser. Because... So the, you diffuse, you diffuse, and diffusion means that it spreads. You don't stay where you are. Your diffusion allows you to influence and permeate the world around you, and particularly the people around you. You're going to be different if you're the coffee. You're not going to be... You change nothing if you're a carrot. You change nothing, and you're quite reclusive if you're an egg. But if you're the coffee, and you get my meaning, you can diffuse and make changes. Have you got one of those candle oils, you know, you have a little plate and you put a little tea light underneath it and you heat the oil, these fragrant oils go in the top? Well, if you've been cooking fish at home, you know you need one of these. Um, And that oil, the fragrance of the oil, goes through your house, doesn't it? And that's us. We can't be contained within our bodies and just stand alone. The Holy Spirit diffuses and it has a fragrance that others know when you have that fragrance. Others know. Others know. Now, wherever you are, if you're in your work situation, you will have a fragrance. Some people, I, I, you know, you, 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 we are influencers when we receive and we enjoy the use of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit we, will speak to us all the time. Be a diffuser. See, the Holy Spirit makes the presence of God real to us. A presence that gives us joy, John 1.3. The Holy Spirit gives us intimacy in Romans 5.5 and victory over sin. So we need to relate to the Holy Spirit because he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a real presence and he calls you to follow him every single day. There's not a day missing. And we mustn't make this mistake of thinking somehow the Holy Spirit isn't a person, because he is. This is the Spirit of God that's dwelling in you as an influencer for all of the people that you come in contact with. 
Although, number one, he comes into you to influence you. You're the first person to be influenced. Because if you're not influenced, you won't influence anyone else. So the Holy Spirit has the attributes of a person. The Holy Spirit performs the acts of a person. Treat the Holy Spirit as a person. And because the Holy Spirit is God, treat him personally. He wants to speak to you personally. And this is one of our challenges, that unless we allow him to speak to us personally, he's still at a distance, we keep him away. There are going to be times in your life where you have to make decisions. And they can be tiny decisions. I mean, I had one just during the week, and someone hadn't answered an email that I sent to them. And I'd given them, how long now? Four weeks? But it's quite a long time, right? And I can be quite impatient and write to them after a week. But I strongly felt, stand back from that. Don't send them a chaser. Just leave it and leave it. And I'm leaving it. I'm just, normally that would be against my nature. I'd give them a good old chase. So could you answer that question, please? Or do this, do that. But in this, I just felt the prompt of the Holy Spirit. Leave it. It's tiny, isn't it? It doesn't matter much to you. But these things you'll come across. Because the little things can build up to bigger decisions as your life moves on. If you get used to making the little, listening to the little, prompting the Holy Spirit, then you'll be able to listen to the big stuff. Should I buy that house or this house? As someone in church, you know, is buying a property first time. It can be quite hard and daunting when you've never bought anything before to know whether it's the right decision. One of the best pieces of advice to them is, do you have a peace in that house? Do you feel peaceful as you go in the house? Are there things around it that disturb you? But of course, a fairly new person in Christ might find that really quite challenging. If you've been around a while, you might find it challenging. Let's just, just work on those pieces of information that the Holy Spirit wants to give us to guide and direct our lives. But the Holy Spirit is to be revered as God because he's in perfect unity with the Father and the Son to lead us in our spiritual lives. And then we look at something else about the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37 to 39. Jesus took a very public and direct stand and announced, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out and said, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I wonder, are you burdened today? Do you have a burden? Are you weighed down by certain struggles? Then you need to come and drink at the feet of Jesus. Do you want to be satisfied? Then drink. And Jesus calls out. He doesn't command you. He asks you to consider coming to drink. He doesn't say, you must come and drink. He says, come to me. But it's your, you have a choice. You're not forced to come to him. You see, Jesus called out and said, those that are thirst." Come to me and drink. One of the problems with that is it falls a bit flat today because I don't think many of you, unless you've been in the desert for a long time, have ever been really thirsty. It might be one or two. I can't actually um, remember 
being very thirsty, except for one particular instance. You see, um, I was in the Scouts a long time ago, right? It's a bit boring, I know. But sit 15 or 16 in the Scouts. The Scouts still go? They're still going? Oh, that's good. And, we, and to get one of these badges, or more than one badge, you go on a day's hike, and you take a lot of kit with you, um, and there's a small two or three, and you take a tent and all this paraphernalia, and you bring some food, and you set out 8 o'clock in the morning, which is what we did. But we brilliantly didn't bring any liquid at all. Didn't even think about it. We weren't thirsty. Um, and it was a very, very hot day. And we had ordnance survey maps. You meant to go to point A and point B. You meant to do all of this stuff. Okay, we were set off. We were fine for the first two or three hours to about 11 o'clock. We thought, mm, feel a bit thirsty. And we're in the middle of nowhere. And by 12 o'clock, we were feeling pretty thirsty. And that was just a few hours. And by 3 o'clock, we abandoned the hike. Because we, 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 we needed some water. And we dropped what we were doing, and we looked out, and there was a village. And this kind lady saw these bedraggled scouts at her door. And we asked her, could you possibly give us a drink of water? Which she did. But we are so thirsty, we abandoned what we were doing for a time. And that's what Jesus is saying. That if you're thirsty, come to me. Because the problem that we have today, you see, Jesus' call to those that were listening would have been well understood. Because thirst was common. If you went to a well in the time when Jesus was speaking, and there was a camel train waiting to be um, watered, you were having a bad water day because you had a long wait. Because you had to go and fetch your own water from the well. It wasn't on tap. So his words would have been of great meaning to those listening at the time. But to us listening, we think, well, I've never been thirsty. But that's what he's talking about. But that thirst and that desire needs to be within us. Because if you're not interested, then you won't go to Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he's talking about that, yeah, a real, real thirst. You can imagine it. If someone must get water is something you can understand they'll put everything else to one side before they receive it. And that's what he's saying. Put everything else to one side so that you can come to the well of life, the Holy Spirit. So, we can do very little without the Holy Spirit. You think you can. You see, because the Holy Spirit turns good ideas into God ideas. All of us have got some good ideas, but are they godly ideas? They may not be bad ideas, but they may not be godly ideas. What is God wanting us to do? And the only way you're going to find out is to ask God about this idea. God will actually often confirm your idea. It's not as if he's going to reject everything you're coming up with, but it's a, just a great thing to come to him and say, Lord, what do you think of this? This is what's in my mind. Did that come from you, or is it me again? But God is looking... For willing people, willing to listen, willing to understand, willing to follow his way once he gives that guidance. Because sometimes you get the guidance, but you still don't want to follow it. So that's a bit difficult to do. You see, the Lord is willing to give the Holy Spirit who serve him. Because he says, the Holy Spirit, the regular parents were good gifts, good gifts to his children. Won't the Holy Spirit do that as well? And we need to think about this. Be filled and go deeper. 
be filled and go deeper. You might be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you need to go deeper and understand what it is God has for you in your life. I really would encourage you that this morning. Just really think about that. Go deeper and deeper. Don't stay on the surface. Don't duck and dive. The, there are reasons why people don't receive the Holy Spirit to the extent to which they should and therefore operate in it. Sometimes you can get in church a lack of unity. It can be a lack of faith in church. A lack of sympathy and love in church. And sometimes we need to follow Jesus because it's a follow of self-denial. It can't always be for yourself. I said earlier, put Jesus on the throne of your life. Step off the throne of your own life and put Jesus there. Because we need to have self-denial. It can't always be me, me, me. Because if it is, you're going to quench the Holy Spirit. You will not be able to understand what it is he has to say to you. One other thing I want to mention is don't let minor matters occupy everything that you're doing. People can get quite bound up with silly things and it's one of the devil's greatest tricks to get you bound up with silly, silly arguments, silly activities, silly stuff that really are not meaningful and you sort of know this is a bit of a waste of time. I can't give you any specific examples but you might well know what I mean. We get tied up in trivia and the enemy loves that, absolutely loves it. So let's not get sidetracked and concentrate on the important things in life. I think one of the challenges we have is that we have to get low, get rid of our old carnal desires. You'll have heard it many times. Put away the old self, bring on the new self. But it's a, a lifetime fight. It's quite often something, you know, Paul, I said earlier, he would write out to people and he'd say, these are the things you should be doing. Don't sin, don't fornicate, don't do this, that and the other. But then he'd turn that conversation back to himself and says, I am the greatest of sinners. He didn't actually say, he didn't put himself and elevate himself above all, all else. What he said was that actually, I'm as bad or as good as you. And I have that struggle and fight in my life as well. Romans 8, 12 to 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. So we constantly have to fight against the things that distract us. And it's no use blaming each other for things for which we are accountable, because we are individually accountable for our behaviour. Can you imagine, this is just a silly scenario, that you've passed away, and you've got this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus said, well, you never accepted me, and you never followed me. Why didn't you do it? But it's going to sound pretty limp if you have to give an account of your life, and you say, it's the fault of the church. It was the fault of the pastor. I didn't like him. It never did. I didn't like the people around me. They never helped me. And Jesus says, no one helped you. I was there all the time. 
And you would respond, well, how did you help me? My Holy Spirit is there in you all the time. And you never ask me one question. It's a silly conversation, isn't it? But as a believer, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. Ask the Holy Spirit some questions. Be prepared to question him. And Jesus says to you, I longed for you to ask for my help. Can you imagine Jesus saying to you, I longed all your life, I longed for you to ask for some help from me. And I would have helped you if you called on me. Now I've made up that conversation, obviously. But I think it's relevant that we've got to be prepared to ask him. Please ask him. I just wanted to um, come to a close with a reading from Watchman Nee. Anyone ever heard of Watchman Nee? Some of you may have. Famous Chinese evangelist, preacher, spent many years in prison in China. And he wrote about the way to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just read this to you. Just, just catch this. Apparently, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is hard to experience. But in actuality, it's very easy. It depends on several things. First, it depends on our need. Do we truly sense the need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Or do we just talk about it? Many Christians today do not sense the need of the Holy Spirit upon them as power. We should ask the Lord to cause us to sense the need. We have the Spirit already, but we need to apply the Spirit and experience Him. If we do not have the need, there's no need to talk about this anymore. No need, no talk. Second, he says, we need to a special consecration. If we sense a need, we need to concentrate, consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Consecrate means to devote ourselves to God in this particular case so that we can experience the Holy Spirit power and then he gave an example I have a sister our meta sister in Christ outside of Beijing she came from the country um, and the people around her lived on farms and one day a fat chicken walked across into her land and she captured the chicken killed it and ate it her neighbour came across to her and said, well, have you seen my chicken? She said, what chicken? I haven't seen the chicken. No, seen nothing. So she lied to the neighbour and she said she hadn't got a clue what she's talking about. But a few years later, this sister was saved and she became a Christian. And after... And in the church, there was much prayer for people to experience the infilling of the, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And she was, she was one of these people seeking the experience. <coughs> and for many days, whenever she knelt down to pray to the Lord for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on her, she had no answer. Rather, each time she prayed, a picture came into her mind of a fat chicken.
And it took her a little time to adapt. Every time I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, I get this vision of a chicken. And she hadn't caught on to it for a while. And then, one day she remembered how she'd taken her neighbour's chicken. And she brought and bought a larger, fatter chicken than the one that she'd taken and took it to the neighbour and confessed what she'd done. Immediately after, the next time she prayed, she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Watchman Nee goes on to say, some of the people could not experience the power of the Holy Spirit due just to one sin, he said. One sin. In this case, the chicken sin, but there's others. And this shows us, he says, that we must be obedient. If we sense the need for the Spirit, we must consecrate our lives to the Lord. We must say, Lord, give me the Spirit. I concentrate. I'm going to follow you. So, and he concludes by saying that um, if there's an if there is no, if you've got a struggle between you and the Lord, is what he says, if there's a struggle, that may be a sin struggle, it may be something you're not quite sure of, um, then we may need to claim the experience and the power of the Holy Spirit. Claim it. Say, Lord, I claim the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because you may not know what the barrier is. And that's what Watchman recommends. And if there's no struggle, you will receive the Holy Spirit, he says. Deal with the point of struggle, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So sometimes there's something in our minds, something we fight with, something that's there that shouldn't be there. Fight it and receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. I think we'll finish there, but I'd just like to pray for... Just the infilling of the Holy Spirit, even for those, everyone here today. Could we just stand for a second? Would you mind? I'd just like to pray for all of you. Um, just be silent for a moment and just ask the Lord, Lord, I want even more of your Holy Spirit power in my life. I want to experience you. So I'm just going to pray. Oh Lord Jesus, I just thank you for these wonderful people that you've sent into this church for this service this morning. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit and the outpouring of your Spirit that you want to give freely to every single one individually here this morning. Oh, Father, I pray that if there's something that's a barrier between you and that person, you'd reveal it to that person. Let that person ask for forgiveness or restoration of anything that's a barrier between you and him or her. Our Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit power is available and in each and every one of us this morning. I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this room, Lord, for everyone that would receive it. Oh Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit power and the unlimited potential that you see in each and every one of us. And I declare that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you.
I? Yeah, my niece has decided to join me here. <laughs> um, thank you, John, for the message. Um, I wanted to read um, the prayer for the week, um, which is in the newsletter. Um, if you've never noticed it before, probably now you'll start noticing it. Um, and it says that you have gone before and know all my days give sorry let me start again that you have gone before and know all my days gives me security help me lord to trust you in the days ahead and so even john has how john has told us about the holy spirit let's in the week let's ask him to help him trust him in the days ahead and uh, let the holy spirit lead us through amen Worship of another song, Fox. Yeah. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>